Good morning. God is good, amen. Greatly to be praised. Uh, hey, one more quick little thing. Some of you know uh, Pastor Russ, who, by the way, will be on deck next week. Come out and support him. God's got a word to give you through him. We'll be in Dallas this week. Um, and so those of you who come out to the little Tuesday morning, by little I don't mean little as though insignificantly little, but I mean the group of you that's, you know, you know, you know who you are, uh, it's open to everyone. But uh, they come out and they kind of discuss on Tuesday morning some of the applicable points of the Sunday morning message. Well, this Tuesday, canceled. Okay, so just be aware of that. We'll be out of town. Uh, about time to get into Micah's message, though. So if you need a Bible, we want to put one in your hands. If you need one, just go ahead and go like this. Someone will find you and, and give one to you. And I am blessed to tell you we have more Bibles on order. So uh, if it's difficult for you to see these, uh, you know, the truth is uh, there was a tornado in Branson years ago and it wiped out a motel. And so with their permission, we just took all their Gideon Bibles, and uh, that's what we, you guys read. So uh, that was probably, uh, I'm going to say, what, maybe eight years, nine, ten years ago, and we're like, well, these work, but man, maybe it's me as I get older. I realize that I can't see anymore. I mean, it's not going to be too much longer. You guys are going to like, I'm going to be up here and, and like the, doing this whole like you know, thing. It just, it's going to happen. I'm preparing you now, but uh, so I, I, I guess what I'm saying is I empathize now more uh, for the small print Bibles. You know what I'm saying? Some of you guys are like, guy, I see him fine. Well, I don't. So I want you to have a better one. Um, so anyway, be that as it may today, Micah's message in chapter two, we're going to look at the entire uh, chapter in a message that I've entitled Devastation and Restoration. So thanks for being here with us today or joining us online. We're glad that you're with us. And not only do we uh, want to get into God's word, but we want God's word to get into us. Amen. And so with that, let's take our hearts to him and, and let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we're just so grateful for uh, your faithfulness and Lord, your goodness and your mercy that's new every morning. And God, today we're asking that you would move and minister to us. Uh, Lord, the things that I have to say, um, they just, they're irrelevant, but Lord, what you have to say is everything. And so we're asking that you would speak, that you would fill me, Lord, with your Holy Spirit, that you would overflow into the hearts and lives of each of us here, that we'd be changed, challenged, Lord, made different because uh, we've been with you today. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the first chapter of the book of Micah, God exposed the sins of his people against himself. You know, things like idolatry, spiritual adultery, harlotry, willful rebellion against his ways and against his word. As we enter now into chapter 2, he exposes and denounces the sins of his people against one another. And ladies and gentlemen, it's the natural, albeit tragic progression that if a person is not right with God uh, then he or she will not be right with others it's the fact that if the vertical relationship is off then the horizontal relationships will be off as well now it may vary in severity and depravity but the one necessarily leads to the other. If I'm not right with God, then I can't be right with you. Now, of course, uh, being right with God doesn't mean that I will always choose 
to be right with you, which then can adversely affect my relationship or being right with God. You remember Jesus said that if you've brought your gift to the altar and there you remember your brother and you have something, he says, hey man, leave your gift there. Go make things right between you and your brother and then come back and offer you. I mean, so like the one again necessarily leads to the other, but when you're not right with God, you, you just won't be right with other people. And so let's look now, beginning in the first verse of the second chapter of the book of Micah, where we read, Woe to those who devise iniquity. By the way, these are underlinable verses. Uh, And work out evil on their beds. At morning light they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and take them by violence. Also houses and seize them. So they oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. Now stop right there. We're going to talk about this for just a few minutes, but I want you to see the problem at its root and then what we would refer to as the subsequent or resulting fruit. Now the root is in verse 2. Did you see it there? It's two words, they covet. Now what does it mean to covet? Well, the word speaks of an inward insatiable desire, a a lust or a strong want for something that doesn't belong to you. And this is the sin, if you remember right, you students of the New Testament, you will remember that this is the sin that nailed the Apostle Paul to the wall. It's the the, uh, commandment that helped him to understand that the law was aimed inward at the intent of the heart rather than outward at that performance, that the law in its intrinsic, its intrinsic nature is spiritual, not physical. Because he could survey his life as he looked back over his life as a Pharisee. You know, he could say, you know, as he went through the commandments, obviously, you know, I've, I've, I've never committed adultery. Check. You know, I've never murdered anyone. Check. I've never, you know, the, the shall not steal. I've never stolen anything. Check. And so when he measured his outward performance, he felt really good about himself. But when the words you shall not covet finally kind of came home to roost for him, that is, he had that light bulb, that moment where the light came on, he realized there was no outward way to really measure or quantify covetousness. But that covetousness is found in the inward intent of the heart. And it's found in Romans chapter 7 where he writes, For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, in other words, revealing to me the reality, produced in me all manner of evil desire. Ladies and gentlemen, that's covetousness. All manner of evil desire. That is, it's not right, why? Because it's not mine, but I want it. Now, it could be someone's spouse, it could be someone's house. I'm not going to go all Dr. Seuss on you. Uh, or as we read here, you know, someone's, uh, someone's property. In short, you guys have heard me say probably over the years the, the, the kind of the truism that I try to teach all my children throughout life, and that is, it's kind of embodied in this statement, the flesh is never satisfied. 
covetousness is the opposite of contentment. You know, true satisfaction is always, you, you've seen those old kind of cartoons where they, the, 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 the donkey is drawing the carriage or whatever and they've got the carrot out in front of it, just dangling right out there beyond, always keeping its desire to be drawn toward a, a certain direction. Satisfaction, you know, just out of reach. You know, if I just had Elon's money, You know what I'm saying? If I just had that guy's car or that person's house, if only he, you know, that guy is so godly, he's so spirit, so obvious, if only he could be your husband, you know, if, if only she were your wife, you know, then you'd be happy. Be careful. You know, it's been said that And I paraphrase, but essentially that when covetousness enters your heart, compassion exits. Enter covetousness, exit compassion. The idea being that when covetousness really gets its hooks in you, there's no real limit to what you will do to obtain that which you desire to apprehend. You know, it's that whole... You know, uh, I don't know, this may be crass, I don't know, but it's that dog-eat-dog world, and as far as you're concerned, everyone else wear milk-bone underwear, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you're just going to do what you got to do. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, it came to, it should, sometimes things come here, they don't have to come out here, I, but, but be that as it may, that's kind of what, <laughs> so sorry, that's kind of what we're seeing here. The root is covetousness, the fruit is is found in phrases like they take. Do you see that? They oppress, they devise iniquity and work out evil on their beds. Now, can we agree that all sin is bad? I mean, can we, we can agree on that, yeah? I mean, there you are, some kind of temptation comes up uh, and you never saw it coming. It just kind of came out of left field. There it was. There you were. And, and, and it's like you failed. You know, you've fallen. You've sinned. And it's not good. You know, you've, you, you have the weight of that. I mean, sin is bad. But can I tell you this? Some sin is worse than other sin. You say, what do you mean? Well, when someone falls into sin, uh, I mean, that's bad. But when someone plans plots, and premeditates sin, that's worse, okay? And that's what's happening here in our text. Sin is being, well, the word is devised and deliberately, intentionally acted upon. Question, what do you think about uh, when you lay down at night? I mean, it's the common thing. It's the natural thing that we as people do, isn't it? I mean, the day is done and there you are. Um, you know, if you're married, you've already had whatever conversations you're going to have. You've said good night and all, and then, then you're no longer talking and there you are. You're just kind of lying uh, there and you're thinking. I don't know, maybe you're thinking about a business opportunity. Perhaps uh, you're thinking about a relationship issue. It could be that you're uh, kind of musing through vacation plans or how to solve a particular problem. It could be a number of things. 
As believers, maybe you're thinking a little bit about your relationship with God, areas that are lacking, things that you could do or should do to kind of, you know, draw close to Him, and you're maybe bringing things before Him, and you're repenting or whatever. You know, maybe it's about your desire to see someone saved, and you're, you know, David said, "My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise You with joyful lips." When notice, I remember You on my bed. And I meditate on you in the night watches. I mean, it's just there you are, and you're laying there, and you're just kind of thinking on the Lord and, 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 and remembering the words of the Lord. And guys, I know that this will come as no surprise, but these kinds of thoughts that we've just brought up, for instance, for example, there is not the case with everyone. You know, as to where most people may think about the day behind them, or maybe the day ahead of them, perhaps a time with family or friends, perhaps a hobby that you have, you know, on and on it could go. Some people, well, the words are, according to our text, devise iniquity and work out evil on their beds. They lay awake at night and they're scheming, and they're plotting, and they're planning on how they can engage in, get away with some sort of sin, how to maybe rip someone off. They, they contemplate crime and wickedness in the sight of God. In this case, because of greed or, or covetousness, they were thinking of ways they could seize people's property, take their fields and their homes, you see. And notice in verse 2, they take them, again, the words are, by violence. Now, of course, if you're familiar, this may conjure up a specific uh, illustrate, not even really an illustration, but a, a reality, an application in Scripture. If you remember Ahab and Jezebel, there they were in 1 Kings chapter 21, and uh, this is exactly what they did. They devised a wicked plan. You remember Ahab was all, oh, Naboth has a vineyard, and I want it, and I went to him, and he wouldn't give it to me, and I'm the king, you know. And Jezebel was like, what are you doing? You are the king. He was on his bed, just called. And Jezebel's like, you're the king. Listen, don't, don't fret. Don't worry about it, buddy. I'm going to get you his field. Let's, let's do this. Let's prepare a feast in Naboth's honor. Let's, let's bring him forward like we're really going to honor him. And then we're going to have some men come, and they're going to testify false witness against him. And then they're going to take him out, and they're going to stone him, and they're going to murder him, and you're going to get his property. And we're given a little clue here as to the nature of these schemes where we read at morning light they practice it so they devise at night they practice at morning light now you remember last week those of you who were with us I told you that God was indicting the rulers of the people we talked about kind of as goes D.C., so goes the nation, as goes Jerusalem, as went Samaria, as what happens in the leaders, so the people follow suit. And those who sat in the seat of government, he was reprimanding. You remember that? Well, in the ancient world, the courts of law, the law court opened at first light. 
there in the city gates. You see, most people who practice sin, they do so under the covering of night. This is what Paul talked about in the New Testament. You know, those who get drunk, get drunk at night. And those, you know, I mean, just generally speaking, people like, you know, uh, why do people not come to the light, uh, John said? Because their deeds are evil. They prefer the night. They, they feel a false sense of security under the covering, thinking no one can see them. Guys, there's a reason why when you go into a bar, it's like it's dimly lit. It's not all this bright fanfare and flare. It's like this super dark kind of you can see each other, but it's like no one can really like, you know, there's reasons for that because people want that false sense of security that the darkness gives them as it pertains to them feeling a sense of like assurance in their sin. Are you following me? These people devised their sin at night and practiced it at morning light. So what we're seeing here, what he's drawing to our attention is corruption in the court system. Might making right. And I want you to notice how, how it is that they were able to take advantage or oppress and seize the property of the people around them. Again, it's in verse two. It says, because it is in the power of their hand. In other words, where people should be able to come and expect some form of justice and, 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 and be vindicated and taken care of and protected, they're being ripped off. They're being taken for all that they had because the wealth and the power was in the hands of the ungodly, okay? Now, if you'll allow me to circle back here real quick, Isaiah, who, if you remember right, was a contemporary of Micah, said this, Woe to those who join house to house. They add field to field till there is no place where they may dwell alone in the midst of the land. In other words, these people that are land grabbing, prospering themselves, impoverishing others. But the question, you guys, is when is it enough? Remember our catchphrase, the flesh is never satisfied. Guys, I shared this with you last week. It bears repeating, take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. You know, Jesus said this as well. He said, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or another way to understand that, Jesus would say, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Think about that. What kind of temporary gratification will you consider worth exchanging eternal condemnation? How far are you willing to go to lay hold of the things of this world? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Power in the hands of the ungodly will bring a nation under judgment. That's what's happening here. Maybe what's happening in our country, you know what I'm talking about? 
but they're able to get away with it. Notice, because it's in the power of their hands. And ladies and gentlemen, isn't that the real test of integrity? Think about that. Listen, there are some sins that we never commit simply because we're never put in a place whereby we can commit them. You know, I can thank God that I, listen, I can stand here before you with all integrity and tell you transparently I have never done any illegal deep sea fishing. <laughs> you know, I've never fished for tuna out of season. I've, you know, I've, 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 but I can also tell you this, I've never been on a boat out in the open ocean and had someone hand me a line or hand me a pole and drop a line down for something out of season either. I've just never even been in that situation. I mean, listen, I, I can thank God I have never done 150 mile per hour in a Lamborghini. You know, I mean, but I, I've never been put behind the wheel of a Lambo, you know, and, and, and on an open stretch of road with like a grade A radar detector either. Okay? So, I mean, I'm just saying, you can apply that to your own life in whatever way you should so choose, but the point remains when it's in the power of your hands to sin. The opportunity is before you. A sense of, how do you say, maybe ambiguity even afforded to you. The question is, do you remain faithful to God and fair with others? Or do you take advantage of the situation, sin against God, and rip others off? Or, or if it, maybe no one else is even involved, you just, you know, you do something unjust. You do something illegal. Why? Because it's in the power of your hands to do it. You know, today we could talk about big tech, big farm, and we could talk about big, you know, corporations swallowing up li- the little businessman is something we see fairly uh, prevalent. It'd be a similar modern day illustration. You know, these, man, these, these land grabbers, these business killers, you know, doing what, listen, doing what you can do to increase profit margin is sometimes a euphemism for feeding covetousness, okay? But notice it says in verse 3, therefore, because of this, they covet, they oppress, they, they devise iniquity, they work out evil, they, they do these things at night, they practice it at morning light, notice, therefore, or because of these things, thus says the Lord, Behold, against this family, I am devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks, nor shall you walk haughtily, that is arrogantly, for this is an evil time. In that day, one shall take up a proverb against you and lament with bitter lamentation, saying, we are utterly destroyed. He has changed the heritage of my people, how he has removed it from me to a turncoat. He has divided our fields or our property. Therefore, you will have no one to determine boundaries by lot in the assembly of the Lord. Now, if you've studied Scripture for any amount of time, uh, you've come to realize that God really appreciates poetic justice. You know what I'm talking about? He says to the family, to this family, that is the family of, of these crooks, of these criminals, those people who've devised iniquity, God says, against you, I'm devising disaster, okay? You've devastated others. I'm bringing disaster 
on you. As Hosea, who was another um, contemporary of Micah said, they sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. He's going to bring on them in a multiplied and quantified manner what they've brought upon others. Total ruin, disaster, destruction. Uh, Proverbs 26 says it like this, whoever digs a pit, that is with malintent, right, will, will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone will have it roll back on him. In other words, to, to bring disaster upon others is to provoke the Lord to bring disaster upon you. He just has this way, God has this way of giving people like this, we would say a taste of their own medicine. Last week I drew to your attention the fact that there comes a time when God's spirit will no longer strive or plead with man. Verse 9 of of the first chapter informed us in these words that their wounds were incurable, meaning the certainty of judgment was coming. Here, Micah underscores the inescapable reality of what's to come upon them by pointing out that this disaster is something, the, the phrase here is, that from which they cannot remove their necks. Uh, think of an iron yoke, okay, uh, around their neck. They, they can't escape. He says, nor shall you walk haughtily, that is arrogantly, Uh, and the idea is that the oppressor now becoming the oppressed, their pride being brought low, they would suffer this same feeling of helplessness that they had brought upon others, and it would be, the phrase is, an evil time, that is a prolonged period of disaster, And when he speaks of having changed the heritage of my people, that he's removed it, given it to a turncoat, the word is apostate or an ungodly people, he's pointing out the fact, as I shared with you in our time last week, that the Assyrians would be there to overtake them, to lead them off into captivity and to seize their properties, their their land. And in verse 6, we read, do not prattle you say to those who prophesy. So this is, so one through five is what Micah is saying to the people. Uh, six through 11-ish, through nine, uh, is kind of the people's response to his words. Do not prattle, you say to those who prophesy, so they shall not prophesy to you. They shall not return insult for insult. You who are named the house of Jacob, is the spirit of the Lord restricted? Again, underline it. Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? Lately my people have risen up as an enemy. You pull off the robe with the garment from those who trust you as they pass by like men returned from war. 
The women of my people you cast out from their pleasant houses, from their children you have taken away my glory forever. Now guys, on the one hand this seems sort of shocking to us. But on the other hand, it's far too typical. Look at verse 6. How they respond to the warning of the word of God. You know, the man of God is faithful to warn the people of the certainty of the judgment of God. And so, what do they do? Do they receive God's word? Repent, return to him. No. They reject the rebuke. They seek to silence the prophet. They turn a deaf ear to the word of God. Here's the question Is it really any different today? Come on, somebody. Is it, do, you, what, do people generally want to hear God's word? They generally just receive it and then repent and then go, oh my goodness, I want to turn to and I'm ready to trust in. I can't believe that. Not, no. It's no, today, I mean, listen, people don't want to hear it. They say, do not prattle. That is, don't preach. Quit preaching to us. Um, um, Don't prophesy to us. You know, it can even mean quit dripping. The idea is that the words of the man of God, you know, think about it, the, the, the dripping faucet. You know, it's just annoying uh, to the people. They say, man, you're getting on our nerves, you know, with all of this. Quit blasting us with all this negative nonsense. Um, that's their thinking. You know, hey, we're prospering here. What you're saying, this idea of destruction and devastation and ruin and judgment... Listen, man, it's not going to happen. Uh, you know, we, we think about, uh, you know, the words of Peter when he was like, you know, how the people say, where is the coming of the Lord? You know, all things are continuing as they've been from the beginning. And he says, by this they willfully forget that out of the world, of, you know, how that God reserved the eight and then the, you know, how he's able to reserve the wicked for judgment and, and uh, preserve the righteous in the midst of it and all of these things. But People can kind of gravitate toward that mentality of, hey man, don't confuse me with the facts. You know, my mind is made up. It's not going to happen. I mean, I'm doing fine. You know, the Jews of the ancient world kind of clung to God's promise to Abraham. Um like it was their ticket to general amnesty. That was kind of the mentality that they could do whatever, they could live however, and God would never really discipline them because he had made a promise to Abraham, you see. It was almost like, and and listen, guys, I don't want to argue the nuances or semantics of the theology right now, but kind of that that mental that once saved always saved mentality or that can lead to a certain mentality can start to uh, you know allow people to have this thought of well you know I prayed this prayer or I've you know gone to church or I was baptized and I'm good with God and, and then they begin to they feel like they can kind of drift or do whatever because it's good I'm saved and all of that but it's just crazy to me 
how people can arrive at a place where they feel like they really don't need to honor God, but they've got all confidence that God will honor them. You know what I'm saying? Uh, When the Bible says, be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. In other words, and we talk about this from time to time, if the Lord is in us, then who he is will shine increasingly through us. Just going through religious motions. I mean, they were like, hey, we're children of Abraham. We go to temple. We do the sacrifices. You know, we go through all the rituals and ceremonies and things and blah, blah. You know, it's kind of like, well, you know, uh, I go to church and I, uh, you know, sing the songs. And when the basket goes by, I'll throw a five or a ten. And, you know what? I mean, I'm doing my religious duty. And, but listen, religious motions is far, far from worshiping God in spirit and in truth. It doesn't take much to join the crowd, to go to church, be a part of some religious experience. But guys, that's a far cry from devotion to God, time spent in prayer with God, obedience and submission to God, leading a life of reverence and godly fear before the Lord, you know. And it's not uncommon to find that the majority is generally wrong. You know, certainly there was a remnant. I'm talking here about the nation, how they were responding to Micah's message. And again, surely, certainly, we know there always is and always will be that remnant who, along with Micah, wanted to honor God. And it was from the heart and all of this. But the majority of the nation just didn't want anything to do with it. They felt like as long as they were kind of doing the, the kind of the ceremonial, ritualistic, doing their thing, that they, look, we're doing what, we're fine, you see. And in verse seven we read, is the spirit of the Lord restricted? Are these his doings? The idea, guys, is that anything that was going to be brought, like, it's like they're blaming God for, for the things that uh, are, are to uh, happen or that Micah is saying will come or if there's any issues or uh, how, how you say problems or, or you know, quandaries that are coming down the pike. Essentially, you know, Micah is going, look, is it God's fault? I mean, a, listen, a real indicator of our relationship with God is how we respond to his word. Micah is being faithful to bring the message of God. The people are like, hey man, you're getting on our nerves. You need to can it, man. We don't want to hear it. We're fine, you see. When Jesus was rebuking the religious leaders of his day, he said, he who is of God, listen, hears God's words. Therefore, he said, you do not hear because you're not of God. If you just don't want to hear it, that's really a witness against you. You understand what I'm saying? But it's interesting how we begin to reap the ramifications of our own ways, but then we want to blame God for the things, the problems that are entering the equation 
of our lives. And the response is this, is the spirit of the Lord restricted? I mean, are these his doings? Listen, God isn't restricting us. We restrict him. It's not that God's ear is heavy that he can't hear, that his hand is short that he can't save, but that our sin separates us from him, yeah? Uh, There's no restriction on the part of the Spirit of God. He says, do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly. Well, question, what does it mean to walk uprightly? Well, it means that you're living your life in such a way as to honor the Lord. You're in stride. You're in step with his word. You're honoring the word of God. The word of God is good to you. If you're not, you don't want to hear it. You kind of want to be under the radar or, or not have to listen to it. You know, this might be a little bit of a, of a real-time kind of a understanding. If, if you're leading an upright life, Listen, you kind of like to see the police patrolling your neighborhood. You know? I mean, hey, I'm not like, let's, I'm, 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 I could not be more against this whole defund the police mentality. I'm like, let's give them more funds, you know? Uh, I mean, they, they do a good, now, there's an added measure of safety and security. It does you good. But if you're a criminal... If you're not upright in the sight of the law, well, man, you don't want a policeman anywhere around you. You know, you feel threatened by him. You, you're, you're paranoid when you see the car. And even still, right, some of us who have a bit of a past, you know, there, there the police car is, and it kind of pulls behind you, and automatically you're like 10 and 2, mirrors here, and you're like checking your speedometer all the time. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's like he, he brings a little bit of a, you know, to you. But if you're walking uprightly, it just means, look, you're doing right things. The psalmist said it like this. He said, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight, notice, is in the law that is the word of the Lord. And in his law or word, he meditates day and, oh, we talked about this, right? Night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And notice, whatever he does shall prosper. My word does good to him who walks up rightly. Now, we like that last phrase, don't we? Whatever he does shall prosper. Ladies and gentlemen, to get to that verse, there are certain conditions that apply. You know, like when the, all these uh, things come up, uh, these contests, you know, you're going to win, this is what's going to happen, but certain conditions apply. Well, we have to walk, that is, move forward or, um, you know, make progress, not in an ungodly, sinful, or scornful way. And we need to be someone who does delight in the word and ways of God. And again, this circles us all the way back to last week. If we want God's word to do good to us, we need to be doers of God's word. 
Just write this down so you can read it later and we can move on. Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 through 11. You can read that later. Psalm 19, 7 through 11. But far from honoring God, loving God, loving others, they're ripping others off, abusing their brothers and sisters. They're enriching themselves. They're impoverishing others. He says, you're pulling off the robe with the garment. Now the robe was the part of their clothing they would maybe lie down on at night or cover up with um, at, at, at when they went to sleep. And so what he's saying is that people, as they just kind of obliviously pass by or they, they come into the equation of your life, it's like you're stealing the very, their bed out from under them. You're just ripping them off to the very, you know, last resource they have. You're displacing the widows and children. You're taking their homes from them. Listen, the Spirit of God moves us toward kindness, toward compassion, not toward covetousness. That's what he's, he's kind of sharing with us. Now, in verse 10, he says, Arise and depart, for this is not your rest, because it is defiled, it shall destroy. Yes, with utter destruction, if a man should walk in a false spirit and speak a lie, saying, I will prophesy to you of wine and drink, even he would be the prattler of this people. So God holds them accountable. Guys, we're not too far from finished, so stay with me. He holds them accountable on two counts. Number one, covetousness. Number two, giving ear to false prophets. They don't want to hear what Micah has to say, but these guys who tell them what they want to hear, right, prosperity ahead, uh, partying to come, well, this is the message they seek to, the words are, rest in. But Micah tells them in verse 10 that it will destroy them with utter destruction. God's word does good, but the words of false prophets will bring destruction. But guys, here's kind of the takeaway from that. People just want to hear what they want to hear. Uh, If a man should walk in a false spirit, more literally a lying wind, like like this, this person is just full of a lot of hot air, right? Great swelling words of emptiness, as Peter puts it. And speak a lie, prophesying of partying and prosperity. He would be the prattler. He would be the dripping. He's the one that's going to bring you ultimately into this destruction, you see. These prophets were filling them full of nonsense, and the people were loving it. And we'll see a little bit more about that next time. But, you know, it's interesting, and and it happens today. Guys, it happens all the time, how that people will seek out someone to tell them what they want to hear. To help justify some sort of sin or some sort of uh, perspective that they have. And they need that assurance, that validation. And they will seek out someone to tell them what they want to hear rather than subject themselves to what it is that they need to hear. Oh, you know, hey, listen, God's a God of love. He's a God of forgiveness. He's a God of mercy. All of which is true. But then they take that and they twist that and apply that in such a way as to say, so, you know, you can kind of live however you want. God 
We'll forgive you. And in the end, we all go to heaven. Have you ever noticed that? That's kind of the general mentality of the world. Doesn't really matter how you live. In the end, we all, we all, you know, we all go to heaven. Paul wrote, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside, notice, to fables. You know, those great swelling words of emptiness. I'm okay, you're okay. Uh, You know, sin's not a problem. And uh, in the end, we know we're all going to go to heaven. Uh, Guys, things aren't always going to be happy-go-lucky. But it's what people like to hear. Approve of my sin, preacher. Remind me again of God's grace, you know. But Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, do what I say. Sometimes what we need to hear is, you need to repent. You need to return to the Lord. And you need to repeat those first works when you had that first love relationship with Him. When you tell someone, listen to me, when you tell someone what they want to hear versus what they need to hear, you're in essence opening the door that leads to their captivity. Do you understand that? Because you're not warning them of the reality. Is that really love? You see? But even for all this, guys, and this is where we're going to begin to wind down, God promises that restoration will come to his people. Look at verse 12. It says, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together like sheep of the fold, like a flock in the midst of their pasture. They shall make a loud noise that is a rejoicing because of so many people. The one who breaks open will come before them. They will break out, pass through the gate, and go out by it. And their king will pass before them, notice, with the Lord at their head. Uh, In brief... And uh, we're going to close here, Karen, if you want in a minute. Uh, what we have here, you guys, is a prophecy of the coming millennial kingdom of Christ. When Jesus, or, oh, sorry, Abby, yes. Uh, or maybe Abby and Karen, I don't know if you yeah, but whoever. When Jesus, the, what we read here, the one who breaks open, maybe if you have a King James, I think it says the breaker uh, will go before them. That is, he, he will lead them into green pastures, blaze the trail before them, pioneer, he's going to break through, he's going to go before them, break new ground for them, if you will. And eventually, ultimately, the Lord will be at their head. What's the take home for you and me after all we've read, all this conviction, all of these sins being drawn to their attention, that for all their sin, Grace was available. In the New Testament, we we read it like this, where sin abounds, grace abounds still more. Listen, God must deal with sin. God will deal with sin. But listen, God has dealt with sin through the cross 
of Jesus Christ. And through the blood of Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, there is no sin that's so great that God can't forgive you. I mean, some of you, that's your mentality. You know, I, listen, preacher, that all sounds good, but you don't know me. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. I'm, I don't know if God can forgive me. There is no sin so great that God won't restore, renew, if you'll but turn to him. Or maybe the word for you today is if you will return to him. And again, guys, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is good for us. That outlining of sin in our life that needs to be confessed and dealt with and put under the blood of Christ. That would be verses 1 through 11. We don't apologize for the shining of the light of the Holy Spirit upon the sin in our lives. But also good for us is the hope. See, we're not left with just conviction, but the hope of reconciliation through the person of Jesus Christ. That's verses 12 and 13. We, we need to deal with our sin, covetousness, selfishness, uh, the desire to hear what we want instead of what we need. So let's respond to God's word. Walk uprightly. Honor him obediently that our lives might bring him glory. Amen? Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and that you minister to our need rather than to our want because you love us and you have a heart to restore and to renew us. And so God, I just pray that you would search us and know our heart, that you would try us and know our anxieties and see if there be any wicked way in us that you might lead us in the way everlasting. And guys, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, and I, and I just encourage you to kind of be maybe thinking through or just still before the Lord. But what a word of conviction and hope today. You know, that we should heed God's word, not look for what we want to hear and shut our ears to what we need to hear, but that we would heed the word of God, that we would turn from our sin, that we would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just encourage you that if you've not surrendered your life to the Lord, that you would do so today. Listen to me. Thank God that he loves you enough to be honest with you because he wants to save you from the penalty of your own ways. And he's made a way through the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's the hope that we have. Reconciliation with God through the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. And so if the Lord is you know, just speaking to you or there's something resonating in you and he's knocking on the door of your heart and you've not given your life to Christ. Not really. Maybe you've gone through the religious motions. Maybe you've been to church. Maybe you were baptized. Maybe you've prayed. You know, I don't know. But, but you do know 
if Christ has changed your life, if old things have passed away, if all things have become new, and if that's not you, it can be today. Can I pray for you? If so, if that's you, if the Lord is speaking to you in that capacity, I just want to pray for you. I'm just going to ask you that you'd show me who you are. You just you know, simply just raise your hand is what I'm saying. And if I see your hand, I'll say so. I see you. God bless you. You can put it down. If there's anyone else, today is the day for you. I encourage you not to resist, not to harden your heart, but to open your heart. That the Lord might have your heart today. Anyone else I can pray for? God bless you. I see you. God bless you too. Guys, that's why we're here. We want to be changed. We want our lives to be made new, man. Or renewed, whatever the case may be. So Father, I just want to pray for every heart that's here. and Lord, in particular, those Hearts who, Lord, I know that when a hand comes up before me, that's just an outward uh, uh, kind of uh, acknowledgement of a heart that's being opened before you. And so to that end, Lord, we just pray that you would have your way right here, right now, in this place. You'd be pouring out your spirit, ministering love and compassion forgiveness. You know, the Bible says that all sin and fall short of the glory of God, but that if we will confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so I'm just going to say a prayer, you guys. And again, it's not the prayer that saves you. The Bible's very clear. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith. You're putting your faith, your, the whole of who you are, in Christ Jesus. But prayer is a way of, well, that's how we communicate with the Lord. And so just confess, just come before Him, just say, God, here I am. And I agree with you about the nature of who I am. I am a sinner. And I do fall short of your glory. But Lord, I believe on you. And I'm asking you to come into my heart, to come into my life, and to fill me with the person and the power of your precious Holy Spirit. That you just overturn the tables of sin in my life. And make my heart your home. And help me to lead my life from right now forward, all my days for you. And thank you, Lord, for putting my name in your book of life. And again, I just want to encourage you that if your heart echoes that that truth, that God has heard your cry, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he has heard you, he has forgiven you, he has come into you, he has made you new. Old things have passed away, all things are made new. Rejoice in that today. And guys, before we...
turn you loose today. We want to remember the Lord, his death, his resurrection, his body broken, his blood shed. And so if you would look around, you'll see a table somewhere near you to behind you or in front of you or to your left or to your right. And there is a, you know, the communion is there. The elements are there and the bread and the cup are together. So don't uh, worry about that. But what we're going to do is Abby's going to lead us in worship. And as she does, I'm just going to allow you as you feel so led to rise up, to come, to take the cup, take it back to your seat. Don't take it. Uh, that it, until we all have it, okay? And then we'll partake together. But let's honor the Lord. And if there's something that's still kind of, uh, kind of, uh, how do you say, clinging to you, something that the Lord is wrestling with you, striving, pleading with you, today is the day, hey, why don't you give me that? Respond to Him. Say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I don't know why I'm hanging on to this. I want to give it to you even now. Please, Lord, just, I'm having trouble letting it go. Would you please just take it from me? God will hear you. He understands. You have a high priest that is acquainted with your struggles and your sorrows. But this is why we're here. So if you would lead us in worship, and as you feel so led, you can uh, rise up and, and take these things. So, Thank you, sir. Thank you.